coming into the season, he was thought that he was going to be that second superstar. You know, people were so excited about Kawhi and PG being potentially like a watered-down version of Jordan and Pippen, right? Two super elite wing defenders, both who can score, both who you can rely on in clutch moments. We are now going to do our new segment called the NFL is in season called Two Minute Drill. We're going to go really quickly run through the previous week's matchups, just talk, you know, real quick about what we thought about them, and then we'll talk about the preview for the next week, and we've also started to put our picks on our Instagram, podcast.lockedin, so you can see our picks, and you can please go ahead, feel free to comment, and tell us who you think is going to have a big week, what the upsets of the week that you think are going to happen, so uh, let's go on with that. Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of the Lock-In Podcast. My name is Ani. My name is Shreve. And man, do we have a crazy week in sports with the NBA. The Western Conference Finals are set. It is the Nuggets taking a 3-1 lead back from the Clippers to go into the Western Conference Finals for the first time since Kobe Bryant was on the Lakers. Now it's Lakers versus Nuggets in the Western Conference Finals and the Eastern Conference Finals. Two games done. Heat up 2-0, 10-1 in these playoffs. Crazy, crazy, crazy NBA talk. We're going to talk all about that. We're also going to talk about the NFL. Uh, pretty good week one. Some really good matchups. We're going to review that and we're going to preview week two's matchups. So a lot to talk about, but let's talk about the NFL or the elephant in the room. Not the NFL in the room. The elephant in the room with regards to the NBA, and that is the Clippers versus Nuggets series, which the Clippers were leading 3-1, and the Nuggets came back again. Two consecutive playoff series coming back from a 3-1 deficit to clinch the second spot in the Western Conference Finals. I've never seen such a reaction to anything in the NBA other than maybe the 2016 Finals on Twitter or online. Everybody is talking about it. Everyone is talking Clippers and how they just choked it. What's crazy is that like when you compare it to the 2016 finals, I think this one this one just blows that out of the water in terms of a team just completely collapsing in the finals. Because when you look at the the 2016 case, like I don't want to use the excuses of like Draymond getting suspended and Bogut's injury. Like putting that aside, the Warriors still fought in that game seven. Like it was a one possession game decided by that Kyrie Irving shot, the Kevin Love stop, and LeBron's block. Obviously, we know the call. We know how famous that is. But the Clippers just looked gassed, not mentally prepared for a fourth quarter that ultimately decided their season. And they just looked lackluster. And it's shocking because you would think that with Kawhi Leonard, someone who's been there before, someone who has been an executioner in the playoffs, like he just knows how to get it done. I kind of want to give him a pass because he's done it before. And he seemed to be the only dude on the Clippers who actually kind of forced the issue. Like he wasn't making shots in the fourth quarter, but at least he was taking them. The rest of the guys looked weak. Like Paul George, obviously, he had that side of the backboard three that became a meme almost instantly. You know, Pat Bev got into foul trouble. wasn't his wasn't his usual tough self. Um, Zubac was ineffective. Lou Williams was not hitting a single shot. I don't know. The, the Clippers team looked fatigued. They looked like they weren't ready to match the Nuggets' energy, and it was. A thoroughly disappointing collapse for a team that I thought was going to win the series in six. And when they were up 3-1, I definitely thought they weren't going to choke that lead, especially with someone like Kawhi Leonard spearheading that team. 
I remember talking about how I, how I thought this was a nightmare matchup for the Nuggets because I said, and I stand by this in a sense, I said, in order for the Nuggets to win the series, Murray and Jokic are going to have to go off and everyone in the Clippers is going to have to play terribly. And that's exactly what happened. Everyone in the Clippers, after that 3-1 lead, and I said they would win in five, and I was like, oh, 3-1 lead, oh, they're going to clinch this game five, you know? I'm, I'm going to be Nostradamus here. It's clearly wrong. But everyone in the Clippers, just when that game five turned around, or came around, other than Kawhi, Kawhi dropped 36 in that game five. Everybody else started playing like garbage, and Jokic went off, triple-double in game seven as well. So, I mean, I, I have a question for you. People, you know, have so many reactions on Twitter. Twitter was crazy talking about the Clippers really just collapsing, making jokes about Pandemic P, Playoff P, Paul George, all that stuff. A lot of talk about Kawhi Leonard and, you know, Kawhi Leonard slander and saying, I would never compare him to LeBron again, all this stuff. You know, Doc Rivers, only coach in history to have three, three one blown playoff leads. So I just, let's talk about the Clippers first, and then we'll talk about the Nuggets because I don't think enough people are talking about the Nuggets, but talk about the Clippers first. Where does the blame lie? Why do you think they lost the series? Why do you think they lost the series from 3-1 down, or from 3-1 up, sorry. Like, who does the the blame rest on? I know that you said you don't blame Kawhi. Is it Doc Rivers? Is it Paul George? Is it just the rest of the supporting cast minus Kawhi? Well, I think I'd have to split it 50-50 with Doc. And the Clippers, I, I not necessarily the role players, because you don't expect them to always have those like consistent nights, but... The, the guys who have been there, Montrez, Lou, and Pat Bev, right? Because last year's team that challenged the Warriors in the first round and took them to six had toughness. They had grit. When they were down 31, they ended up coming back and beating, you know, a heavily favored Golden State team in the first round in that game with Kevin Durant playing. So there was obviously an element of toughness and grit that that team had. And you would think that culture would carry over, especially for moments like this in a game seven where... You know, futures are on the line. Players' careers are on the line. You know, if someone has a bad series, a bad game, just the entire league and the narrative for that player shifts. And, you know, we saw a little bit of that with Paul George, who coming into the season, he was thought that he was going to be that second superstar. You know, people were so excited about Kawhi and PG being potentially like a watered-down version of Jordan and Pippen, right? Two super elite wing defenders, both who can score, both who you can rely on in clutch moments. And... Obviously, Paul George did not live up to some of what he showed in Indiana and some of what he showed last year in his MVP caliber season with the Thunder. Like, it's sad because I love Paul George's game. I think he's one of the smoothest players in the league. He's one of the most versatile. There's not a team I can think of that wouldn't be able to use Paul George effectively, in the, especially in the modern NBA where he's just like the perfect wing. But he was shockingly bad and I don't know if it was because he was going through something or if he was just dealing with things that are out of our control he could not make a shot and in a game seven when your best player is struggling Kawhi Leonard wasn't having a great game when Lou wasn't having a great game when Montrez has been bad all series and especially in the bubble in general he hasn't showed consistency since coming back from he had a tough situation with his grandmother's passing and all but that's the sixth man of the year, and last year's sixth man of the year, Lou Williams. Like they, they should have produced more. Paul George should have produced more, and it's, it's on Doc to instill some confidence when your team is up three one. When your team, even after losing Game Five, still has a firm grasp of the series. Like you, 
have like it puts what Michael Malone did in such a higher regard. Like when your team is down three one in two straight series. And you find the will to instill that confidence in all your players saying, you know what, we've been through this last year, we've been through this before, we can do this. It's Doc's a great coach, but I think the Clippers need a change. I disagree. I think the blame for this tremendous loss rests entirely on the players of the Clippers. I think the Clippers were doomed from the start of the season because the attitude they had coming into the season was vastly different than anything that of, of any NBA team I've ever seen before. Because you look at the Clippers team last year, tenacious, gritty, hardworking. And the reason for that is because they knew they were underdogs. They knew they didn't have all the pieces. So they had to have the attitude, which is a very similar attitude, I think, that a couple of teams in the playoffs this year, maybe like the Heat against the Bucks or even the Nuggets, they displayed that gritty, hardworking, tenacious attitude. The Clippers, once they got Kawhi Leonard and, and Paul George, and you looked at their roster, and from an objective standpoint, the deepest roster in the NBA by far, right? Them and Miami. I think, I think them and Miami are two of the deepest. Yeah, but I mean, I, I personally, everyone, like, when the season was starting, saying, oh, this is the deepest roster, mm-hmm. people thought this team was going places, and the team knew that, and the team embraced that. The team was basically like, oh, screw the regular season. Not necessarily that they were going to throw the regular season and be like the seventh seed, but that the regular season didn't necessarily matter as much as the playoffs. And when playoff time came around, that they'd they'd go off and they'd be the number one team. And you saw that throughout the season, a lot of their players were injured and they never had like a full healthy roster. So I think that mindset started creeping even more that, oh, this is just the regular season. No need to worry about it. When you take the Lakers, for example, they're crosstown in quotes rivals because they play in the same building. The Lakers, LeBron had something to prove because he didn't make the playoffs last year and he got AD and he said, we are making this, like we're making the playoffs. I'm being the number one seed again in the West. I'm showing people I can do it in the West and the East. I think he had that I want to prove something to everybody, even in the regular season. Whereas the Clippers were like, oh, you know, come playoff time. We'll do this. We'll do this. And then the pandemic hit. And I think Coming into the bubble, we're to, we, we talked about you know a lot of players on the Clippers not being there at the beginning of the bubble. You know, Zubak was out for a few games. Montrez had his family situation, and Lemon Pepper Lou, you know, went to Atlanta. I think he was there for a funeral, so I think he has some family stuff or some out off the off the court stuff as well. But you know, he also kind of endangered himself and had to get quarantined and all that stuff. Just the attitude they had coming in as well. They were like, oh, these eight you know uh, play in games, whatever. It's all about the playoffs. But even then. Remember when the uh, the stoppage happened because of the Bucks and because of all that, uh, the, the boycotts because of, of the um, um, uh, uh, the, the, the situation in Kenosha. When the NBA took a vote, an informal vote, quote unquote, of like who would want to continue, the only two teams that voted no to continue the rest of the season and continue the playoffs were were the the Clippers and the Lakers. But I think the reasons why are two very different reasons. I think. The Lakers really wanted to show that we're saying no because, you know, we care about social justice and we care about what's happening out in the world. And that LeBron-led team really, you know, just said no because they wanted to show that, like, they think things are more important than sports. This Clippers team, it didn't seem even from, like, it got overshadowed. It was always like the Lakers and the Clippers said no. But I think, you know, potentially a reason why the Clippers said no is maybe they didn't want to play the rest of the season. I know that sounds kind of weird to say, and I told some of my friends, they're like, no, dude, these are NBA players. Why do you think they want to play the playoffs? Like, of course they want to, like, 
Have you, did you did you watch Game Five, Game Six, and Game Seven? They had leads in all of those games. They had double digit leads in Game Six and Game Seven, in the third quarter. Both of those games in the second half, they had double digit leads that they gave up. To me, it did not look like anybody other than Kawhi Leonard wanted to be on the court, wanted to be in Orlando, wanted to play. So, you know, I I don't doubt that maybe they voted no because they didn't really want to be there. They played like that. So I think the attitude that these players had from the beginning, when you're a coach like Doc Rivers, you have like these very hard-minded star players like Paul George. I mean, Kawhi Leonard, I think, had a good attitude. and He, he probably was the only player on the Clippers that showed up the entire time during the playoffs and even during the bubble. But you look at like Patrick Beverly, right? Very like hard-minded player. He doesn't really like to change his opinions. Montrez Harrell, uh, Morris, right? Just all these players are very like the, the Clippers... When you look at them just on a player-to-player basis, like, oh, this is a very tough team. These guys are very stubborn. But, like, I don't think Doc Rivers could change that, right? I don't think Doc Rivers could go inside their heads and be like, oh, care about this more. I think that's the biggest thing is the Clippers just didn't care about this. See, you bring up Doc and, like, I, like when I said he, the Clippers need a change from Doc, I don't think it's, it's a very tough situation because when Doc was with Boston back then, he had very strong-minded players, right? Like Pierce, Garnett, like Posey, Eddie House. Like a lot of those guys were very like tough, like strong-minded players. Yeah, I mean, Garnett is known to be one of those strong-minded players, but I think you saw when he came to Boston, not that he softened up, but he was able to take that coaching more often. I think him and Doc had a better relationship where I think Garnett really blossomed not in terms of a pure statistical performance as he as good as, good as he was in, in, in Minnesota, but I think Doc was able to shape him in a way that made that team ready to to, to beat the, the Lakers in that finals. Whereas in this team, I don't think like even though, no matter how hard like hard minded you are, you need to be ready to accept some change and ready to accept some coaching. To me, it feels like Doc Rivers like it didn't matter if he was the coach or not, you know? Like it just did not matter. Right. And like Another thing with that team, like the Boston team, their leaders were very vocal, right? Like every anytime, even on broadcast, when you watch a Celtics game, like you just hear Pierce and Garnett like barking, talking out. Rondo's just always talking on the floor. And I think with this Clippers team is like, you know, they're obviously on paper very talented and yet they didn't have a bad regular season and they, they were up 3-1 and one win away from the conference final. But the thing is, their leaders don't talk. Like, we've never seen Paul George and Kawhi Leonard be those vocal leaders that command a lot of attention on the court. Like, everyone knows them for their game, which is right. Like, a lot of people just say, let your game do the talking. But there's a certain element of leadership that I, I don't think was displayed from the two star players on the Clippers. I don't think the leadership had to come from those two star players. Because I looked at the Toronto, uh, the Toronto team of last year. I mean, granted, Kyle Lowry was their second best player, but he was their leader because he'd been at that franchise forever, mm-hmm. right? And he was that leader, but they also had Serge Ibaka, who'd been at the franchise for a while, Marcus Gasol, right? So they had those guys to bring the leadership and sort of Kawhi to anchor the team down in terms of the pure talent. I was fine with Patrick Beverly and Lou Williams being the leaders on this team. I don't think that was the issue. I think the issue was just straight up, like, remember when we were kids and we used to do a basketball summer camp and we'd like lie and say that we carpooled so we'd all be on the same team right and we just coach ourselves we'd have like a fake adult coach or like a camp counselor be the coach but we just coach ourselves and run our own plays because at that point like we were such good friends we played basketball every single day we didn't need some other guy telling us what to do that's kind of what this felt but in like a, in a bad way not a good way i feel like you know 
we won every single time. But like the Clippers, it felt like it didn't matter if they had Doc Rivers or even Greg Popovich on the sidelines. Like they were just ignoring the coach. Like the coaching staff could have been empty. It didn't matter. See, I would agree with you on the leadership thing, except last year, like we we, we saw what that Clipper team embodied. They took on the spirit of Pat Bev and Lou Williams. This year, when those two guys were relegated to more of a, a supplementary player role and like, you know, the 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 we'll we'll help you out, but we're not going to be the ones taking over games like we did last year. I think some of that leadership went down, and especially when you have two people as accomplished and with all the accolades as Paul George and Kawhi Leonard have and have done, it it's natural that when you're such a big vocal leader and you have two big personalities like that come in, it's you, your leadership is gonna change in a way, and I think we saw that. I'm not saying it was the factor. But I think it played a role in why the Clippers, you know, game five, 16 point lead, everyone thought they were going to close it out. It just, they didn't keep their foot on the gas. And I think part of that comes from all the changing of the guard that happened this season. I think the biggest question for the Clippers is what's next? Because you have this team that is so deep and so stacked. But I don't think this team built as it is can win a championship. Not because of their talent, just because of their attitude. If they're willing to change their attitude, then sure, I think they can easily win the championship. I think this Clippers team is the most talented team in the league, right? But I think it's really a change in attitude, and also it's a little bit of consistency. Like, Paul George needs to step up. But, I mean, I don't know. Like, like if you're the Clippers, like, would you trade away Paul George? Because you spent so much draft capital, and you traded away Shy to get him, and, and Gallo, of course, right? And it's just, it boggles my mind that in Game 7, Paul George has less field goals in the entire game than the number of draft picks that the Clippers gave up to acquire him. That's a crazy stat. Yeah, that stat is very telling about the, the impact he had in Game 7. And I was going to ask you, and you actually brought it up, I was going to ask you some some fake Paul George trades, if you would mind. I'm down. Yeah, let's do it. Would you do, let's say I'm the Clippers GM, and I call Ted Leonsis in Washington, D.C., and I'm like, hey, Paul George and a second rounder for Bradley Beal and, like, cash considerations. Who, would you take that if you were in Washington? Does L.A. have any second rounders to give up? I feel like they have no draft picks for the rest of, like, their, like this next Or let me make it a straight swap, like Bradley Beal for no, Paul George. No, definitely not. If you were Washington, I mean, you'd say no? Yeah, if I was Washington, I, I think Bradley Beal is the only player in NBA history to average 30 points and six assists and not, not make an all-NBA team. And by the way, real quick, let's talk about the travesty that is Chris Middleton. Uh, Chris Middleton yes. received more All-NBA votes than several players, including Russell Westbrook. But because his votes were split between guard and forward, he did not make any All-NBA teams. Dude, I'm telling you, positionless basketball needs to become a thing. Like, I'm so... It, it's insane yeah. that Middleton, I'm okay. in a season where he had nearly a 50-40-90 season, one of the most efficient players... again. Tries his like tries so hard on defense, and is just a a really perfect complimentary piece. He doesn't make an All NBA team for the best team in the East. Shocking. I think the issue is like when you're voting for a player, they should be assigned a position, and that should just be their position. Like it doesn't matter. Like if Jokic is a center versus a forward, if like the NBA designates him a forward, then you should vote for him as a forward. Like I like that's the issue. Like if Middleton was assigned for a forward position. I think he definitely would have had enough votes to make the third team. Easily. Or don't even because don't even people, assign the position. Just total up the votes, right? Yeah, that too. Exactly, that too. Like I don't I don't understand why 
they had to split between the guard and the forward. He's clearly a small forward. I don't know why he got any guard votes. Yeah, Middleton deserved better. Bradley Beal deserved better. This is a season of of snubs. A season of snubs in the NBA. Let me ask you one more Paul George trade. Let's say the Sixers are looking into breaking things up and Elton Brand calls the Clippers and is like, hey, Embiid's available. Would you do Embiid for George? It just doesn't make sense for either team. Like, I, I don't understand why, like, the Clippers would trade for Embiid. I, I, I don't understand why the, the especially the Sixers would trade for Embiid. Or sorry, for, for Paul George. Well, because the Sixers... Uh, Paul George is... Sixers have always had issues with, like, perimeter shooting. Oh, it's based on Paul George's playoff performance. Recency there's bias. no perimeter it's, shooting available. I think it's recency bias. No, I, I mean, think of, no, of course there's recency bias, right? Of course there's recency bias in my head. And I was just about to say, this like playoff performance has really made me evaluate Paul George's like draft capital or no, not trade capital in my head. But from an objective standpoint, I just don't think. I think they need a big man on the team. I and mean, they do have Tobias Harris, I guess. So like, I mean, but they need somebody to sort of hold down the paint. And I think like, really. Embiid provides that, and from from the Clippers standpoint, I don't think like if you trade away Paul George and you get back um, uh, Embiid, I don't think they have enough shooting because like like they were supposedly one of the best three point shooting teams in the league, but like from a pure player standpoint, like Lou Williams is obviously a great three point shooter, but like, Kawhi is not the greatest three point shooter in terms of even like efficiency, and then who else do you have other than Paul George? Like you're, you're not they, asking Montrez to shoot the, the Clippers have a lot of good three-point shooters who had slightly down years. Like, Shamit's a very good three-point shooter. Kawhi's gotten his percentages up to, like, high 30s, which is, like, very acceptable for a superstar-level player. Like, that that's usually... that's You're fine with someone shooting, like, 39% from three. And then... See, dude, I forgot about Shamit, which just shows you how much of an impact he had in this, in this playoffs. I think the... I don't know. The Clippers I, need, like, a, a another playmaker because... They, who who was their de facto starting point guard for most of the season? Patrick Beverly. I I think so. He's not a. I'm really watching. He's watched. just not a playmaker. Like, like he he's a very good defensive player. But if you're asking someone to run your offense, and especially in an offense where you have two centric wings, like I think Boston did it right by getting Kemba because everyone knows his playmaking ability. If the Clippers had someone like Kemba to, you know, offset the the big bulky playmaking of George and Leonard, I think that that's someone they need to address in the offseason. And whether it's if they trade Paul George or find another way to acquire someone, I think that's what they need to do. No, I agree. I agree. And, you know, I think that the series was crazy because the, the Clippers choked. But one team that did step up 100% and people aren't giving them enough credit is this Denver Nuggets team. Mm-hmm. I think there's a, a few reasons why they were able to come back down from 3-1 in two consecutive series. I think a really big factor, which isn't a discredit to the Denver Nuggets team, is just admitting that there were different circumstances, is the fact that you know we're in the bubble. There's no crowd. I don't think that the Denver Nuggets could come back from two consecutive series down 3-1 if there was a home crowd involved. I, I don't think that's possible, regardless of how good a team is. And how tenacious they are is just that home crowd, I think, makes a difference, especially in the NBA. So I think, as considering that in all th- in, the, in the three games in a row that the Clippers lost, they were up by double digits in the second half. I think with that crowd noise and with the atmosphere, 
the Clippers probably would have closed it out in one of those three games at least. But do you think Denver would have gone down 3-1 if they had their altitude home, you know, their home court advantage? I don't think they would have gone down 3-1 back-to-back in series. No, yeah, I, I agree. I mean, based on the way the Clippers, like, if the performance is held steady, right, but then just the atmosphere has changed, I still think the Nuggets might have won the series. I think the Clippers versus, like, the matchup I was thinking, like the Jokic and Murray, which I'll talk about next, truly went off. Mm-hmm. And Murray went off a lot more in the first series. You know, he, we saw him drop multiple fifty-point games, but you know, he did phenomenally in this in the series. But you know, Jokic, the true hero, and I, I think we talked about this earlier. He's one of the most clutch players in the NBA. People don't realize that he's had almost double digits, if not double digit, uh, number of uh, buzzer beaters or. or game-winning shots in the, in the fourth quarter in the last two years. He dropped a triple-double in the last game in Game 7. He dropped 34 and 14 rebounds in Game 6. Again, 14 rebounds in Game 5. He's just so such a good playmaker. He played pretty good defense as well. Like Jokic isn't seen as this defensive threat, but in the last three games of the series, played pretty good defense, honestly. And overall, just showed why he's one of the better players in this league. Top 10 for sure. Yeah, and He's one of those guys where he, he elevates his performance regular season to playoffs because everyone in the regular season is like, why doesn't Jokic shoot more? Like, why doesn't he take on a heavier scoring load? And he, he kind of just coasts through the regular season, still brilliant, like does everything you want as a player leading your team. But once he's in the playoffs, like in, in these last two postseasons, he's averaging 26, 11, and 5, which is for a big man, that, that's been done by, I think, I, I don't know, but, but there's not many people who put up that numbers as a big man. 11 assists for a big man is absolutely ridiculous. And, you know, with, with Jokic, you, you we saw what he did at the end of that game seven. Like, there was a play where they were up 15, and Murray gives him the ball in the post, and he's facing the three-point line of his own basket, and he throws a pass behind his head to a cutting Jeremy Grant. Like, on the dot, beautiful pass. No one would attempt that in any other situation other than this guy. It's like he's trying out stuff during games just because he can. Like he He's not the fastest guy. He's not the most athletic guy. But he's one of the most skilled players this league has ever seen. And uh, we, we have to start looking at Jokic as a superstar and not really that second-tier star. That You know, like maybe Paul George is in that. Maybe Jimmy Butler ascending but still in that tier i think we have to consider Jokic like a top 10 top 8 level player so what about this western conference finals matchup between the lakers and the nuggets a repeat of something we saw before this new decade came about Uh, you know in that matchup it was carmelo anthony versus kobe bryant and this it's lebron james versus Jokic. do you think the nuggets have a chance and i think they do have a chance at shannon sharper Somebody on one of the morning talk shows said the the Lakers have a ninety eight percent chance of winning. I don't think it's that high, but uh, like you know, you've seen this team come down from three one. But granted, they have played fourteen games compared to the Lakers ten games, so seven more games, right? So I think fatigue does play a role, obviously. So do you think that the Nuggets can push it to five, six, seven games and take the series out from LeBron and the Lakers, or do you think the Lakers are just too good for them? I think the Nuggets have a better supporting cast, especially now with Gary Harris back. That's just another all-NBA caliber defender. And 
he was very average in the regular season, but I think in the bubble, he's really stepped his game up after coming back from injury. Crucial piece. Michael Porter Jr. could be huge or could be a non-factor. I don't see an in-between for him in this series. Like, he either gets heavy minutes, you know, like torching the LA wings, or he's just going to get bullied on defense. And we'll, we'll see. Like, I, I'm not going to count the Nuggets out, especially after 2-3-1 comebacks. Like, it, it'd be foolish to discount them, even against the team as crazy as the Lakers. Um you know, AD and Jokic, I think, are going to neutralize each other. Um, AD is a slight... Sorry, there was like a huge lightning strike. Oh, wow. Yeah, it is raining there, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'm in Eugene, by the way, for, for those listening. Oh. Um, they don't know. Yeah, so... I, obviously, we know AD's impact as a de- as a defensive player is just much greater than Jokic's impact. But I think Jokic is a slightly above average offensive player compared to Anthony Davis. Like both of them are obviously very high tier, but whoa, I think whoa. from a from a playmaking perspective, yeah, hundred percent. But from a pure offensive perspective, I think AD is way more consistent and better, better, better shooter, better like driver to the basket. And way better defender. I think Anthony Davis is overall a better player than that. Like, well, okay, if you're, if you're, other, I don't know. If you're saying, like, when you're talking about individual okay. offense, Anthony Davis is better than Jokic. No doubt. Like, Anthony, like, Davis is just no, no, more but, polished. Okay. AD, AD can lock down Jokic, but Jokic cannot lock down AD. But it's not just going to be a one-on-one thing. Like, with Jokic, when he has the ball, you have to worry about all four guys on the Nuggets just moving, cutting, running. I think that's, like, 50% of Jokic's, like, brilliance just comes from assessing all of that and just throwing dimes playmaking it's hard to stop Jokic unless you're someone like jimmy butler who's really good at intercepting passes and stuff i think if if lebron averages 30 in the series and just does what he did in 2018 in the eastern conference playoffs leading up to that finals where he just he he did not care who he was facing he was going to win this game win win the series the lakers win in six that's my prediction i think for me it boils down to like two things the first thing is fatigue. How fatigued are the Nuggets? They played two seven-game series, and we saw when uh, in, in Jamal Murray's post-game interview after beating the Jazz, he was so surprised that they were playing the the, the Clippers in the, in the next series you know, in, only, in only two days rest, right? So this team has to be tired, right? So can they bounce back? I think, again, usually I'd say, oh, you know, if the first few games go the Lakers' way, Definitely count out Nugget the, the the Nuggets, but in this case, it seems like they, they thrive off of three one deficits. So I think fatigue definitely plays an impact for sure. And I think the other thing that that plays an impact is I said this last time as well is how well everyone other than Jokic and and Murray play in Game Seven. Paul Millsap had a really good game, and I think in general in the games that the Nuggets won, which is you know makes sense logically. It's not like I'm uncovering some you know, crazy analysis here, but like the the Nuggets team as 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 a team overall, the supporting cast played really well, mm-hmm. right? So if the supporting cast doesn't decide to show up for four games, then obviously they're going to lose. So I think it really depends. You you talked about Gary Harris, right? Gary Harris getting more playing time compared to where he was when he first came in in the series, and now I think definitely getting his shooting more in form. So we'll see what happens, but I think it all depends on the supporting cast of the Nuggets and also how tired they are. So what? what what's Lakers your, might take it, but I don't know. What's your series? I, I think it goes to seven. I think Lakers and seven. Lakers and seven. Yeah, but I don't think it goes down to three. Listen, one. if it goes, I, to, I think it's, if it goes to seven, I'm not betting against Denver. 
It's it's two two. I think it goes two two three two and then three three and then four three Lakers. I don't know. On Twitter, I said that the Lakers should just throw the first two games. It's the safest option here. Just not let it get just the straight up like, yeah, just o two is fine because then you can just win four in a row, right? But if it's three one, that's where the that's where the difficulty lies. But yeah, I mean, this series is crazy, and you know, just as an FYI, we're recording this on Thursday night, so the day before the first game of the series, and the 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 game that just did finish today in the NBA is on the other side of the bracket on the Eastern Conference. It's game two of the Eastern Conference Finals. The the Boston Celtics versus the Miami Heat. The Heat are up 2-0 in two nail-biter games. First game went into overtime after the Heat were down 105-100. to Tyler Hero hits a three. Then Jimmy Butler hits what was a three, but then got called back to be a two. And so tie game goes into overtime. Overtime, Heat are winning. And then Jason Tatum's going in for a drive gonna dunk it seems like you know no chance of stopping him bam out of bio one of the best young players in the game comes in blocks that shot heat win game one game two heat in the second half down double digits switch to playing zone defense have a huge run in the third end of the third quarter comes around they're up by like eight or nine points then fourth quarter comes around Celtics have a huge run in the beginning they tie the game and they were up by a little bit then in the last few minutes the the heat have like a 17 like the, the five run or something. But then Jalen Brown hits a couple of threes to keep the Celtics in it. And then just again, Jimmy Butler with the defense to close out that series. Or not that series, to close out game two. So now they're up 2-0 in the series. So, I mean, I don't know. This has been a very entertaining series so far. But what do you think so far? Like, do you think... It seems like the Celtics are in the series. You know, they lost two very close games. I don't think they're going to necessarily... It's not going to be a sweep. I don't think so. I think... The, the Celtics have to win a few games, the, the level that they're playing at. But is this a bad luck for the Celtics, or is this Heat team just super clutch, or what's the deal? I think it, it it's one of those series where 2-0 doesn't feel like the end of the world because both games were obviously single possession, very close games. First one overtime, second one was, what, 106-101, so it was decided in the last minute. Boston did a lot of things right in Game 2. You know, Kemba in Game 1 struggled he got much better looks because you know last series um toronto went on they went in a box and one against kemba and essentially took him out of the offensive game plan so kemba was forced to you know penetrate dish out he didn't get any of his usual looks i think game one he got a few he just missed them game two he started off hot you know pushed boston up to that 15 point lead looked like the kemba we all know and love from charlotte from you know, the, the commentators love saying cardiac Kemba and they make the UConn reference way more than necessary. But he did look that way. Like he looked exciting, quick, shifty. And then Miami zoned up. And that's something that more coaches in the NBA need to do. You know, there's this fixation with playing man defense and being responsible for your guy and not depending too much on other people for your defensive assignments. But a zone defense is just maximum help defense it's the it's it's a way where if they're if they're shooters who need to be taken out of games you go zone if there are big men who are giving you problems you go zone because you can always help out in the post and if there's a singular player like Kemba who if you take him out of the game Boston doesn't really have any elite ball handling elite shot creators like Tatum can create a shot Brown can create a shot it's just not the same as when Kemba does it because he gives those guys such great open looks and Credit to Eric Spolstra. I think he's one of 
well now I don't think he's underrated because I think he's finally starting to get that huge exposure and like realize that he's not just someone who was carried by LeBron Wade and Bosch in those days he's a brilliant coach and I saw a tweet earlier that said Jimmy Butler is the equivalent of a closer in the NBA like a major league relief pitcher like the ninth inning guy and it's so accurate because he's one of those stars slash superstars who he doesn't need to be scoring the ball to have a maximum impact in the game. His, you, you, like you just mentioned, his his two defensive plays at the end of the fourth quarter game too, brilliant. Like he had that save going out of bounds, resulted in a dunk for him. And then he had the steal from Kemba and dished it to Crowder for a layup. So he does all the little things you want. I think he's really turned his career around in Miami. Like he was good. Nobody ever viewed him as great. And... You know, if he wins a championship, we're, we're going to have to start talking about Jimmy Butler Hall of Fame. And that the, the same talk with Kyle Lowry that people are having now, we're going to start having that with Jimmy. Yeah, I think Jimmy Butler has really stepped up his game in Miami. And the series is crazy. As you said, it doesn't feel like it's 2-0, which is kind of weird, but makes sense how the games are. I think that... Hmm, Miami is definitely going to lose one or two games. They have to. It's the way they're playing. Not not that they're playing badly. It's just, you know, such a close series. We'll see if their defense holds up. I think that's the biggest thing. So, I don't know. I'm I'm hesitant to, to sort of make a prediction right off the bat right now. Uh, but, I don't know. I think it could be a very, very close series. It could go to seven. It could end up in like five or six. We just never know. But I think one thing I love about the series is seeing both the offense and the defense. Because the series has both of them. Right, because mm-hmm. on the offensive side of the ball, you have like those last minute threes by Jalen Brown, crazy, right? And Goran Dragic, unsung mm-hmm. hero of Game Two, hit two ridiculous shots over Tice, right? But then the defensive side of the ball is also pretty crazy because you have so many good defensive plays. Bam's last second block, right? Mm-hmm. Then you got what like Butler steals and just like the defensive awareness of Spolster to say, yeah, this clearly isn't working for us. Let's you know, move to the zone. And they're still playing zone in the last few minutes. And we saw that, like, during the last play where, uh, who was Jalen Brown, had that open three in the corner. It was because they were swinging the ball around and got the pass open through the zone. So potentially the zone could have been the downfall, right, mm-hmm. of the Heat because they left Jalen Brown open. But still, like, I love the offensive defensive because I feel like some series are very just, like, the offense is good or the offense is bad, you know? Yeah. Whereas in this series, it was that the offense – and the defense is like good, and they're making adjustments. It's like one of those uh, like coaching heavy series in a sense, which I love to see. So. Yeah, it's two great coaches, and there was a there was a time where all ten players on the court could create a shot for themselves, and it's not rocket small ball because obviously you have Tice and you have, um, you have Bam, so it's not just super super small PJ Tucker at center type lineups, but every single guy is a very skilled player, which makes for exciting basketball. And I think these two teams are the most evenly matched teams in the playoffs. Like, Boston just ran through Toronto, but I just don't think Toronto had enough firepower to keep up with Boston. And ultimately, like, we we saw Boston just had a bit more. But with this Miami team, they have skill guys one through nine. Like, Derek Jones Jr. wasn't getting minutes that he was accustomed to from the regular season. And he came in today and did a great job defensively, made a couple of plays, you know, always causes havoc on the offensive side with his rebounding and his leaping ability. And 
I'm super excited for the rest of this series. Like you mentioned, Drogic, just an absolute killer. Most underrated guard in the league, or at least one of the most underrated guards in the league, along with Bradley Beal. Uh, I said Boston in six before this series. I'm going to have to go Boston in seven. I'm going to stick with Boston, but I'm going to go Boston in seven. I think the Heat could close this out. Maybe Heat in six. I don't know. We'll see. I said Heat in five earlier. Uh, but, I mean, maybe I'll be right. But I don't know. I think it's going to be closer. But, yeah, I mean, NBA has been great. Bubble play has been great. But the NFL has been great. And we are now going to do our new segment while the NFL is in season called Two Minute Drill. So we're going to go really quickly run through the previous week's matchups and just talk, you know, real quick about what we thought about them. And then we'll talk about the preview for the next week. And we've also started to put our picks on our Instagram podcast.lockedin so you can see our picks and you can please go ahead feel free to comment and tell us who you think is going to have a big week with the upsets of the week that you think are going to happen so uh, let's go on with that so week one in the NFL some crazy games game one Texans Chiefs Aditya what do you have to say about that I thought Mahomes looked great the Chiefs wide receivers looked great Sammy Watkins had his typical week one game and Deshaun Watson needs an O-line I think Watson O-line is critical, especially you're paying him that much money. You don't have an O-line. I think that was the biggest difference in this game. Obviously, the Chiefs are one of the best teams in the league. Mahomes looked on par. And Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. We talked about him earlier. Crazy man, man. He's going to be so good. You want to go? Let's Jets-Bills. Yeah, Jets-Bills. Um, Josh, Josh Allen looked like a very viable long-term quarterback answer for the Bills. And again, these might be week one overreactions, but... I thought he was fantastic, and Stephon Diggs definitely helped him out. Adam Gase is a garbage coach. I don't know how he has a job in this league, and some other players don't, or some other coaches don't. I'm sorry. Josh Allen did play well, but he did fumble the ball a little bit too much, and I'm quite concerned about the turnovers for the Bills, but you're playing a team like the Jets. It shouldn't matter. Packers-Vikings. Rodgers is ready for like a vengeance season. Like He's... After Jordan Love, I know people were just saying, oh, is this the end of Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay? Nope. Like, he is going to finish in the top five for MVP voting. And also, I'll just tell the score as well for week one. So, Texans 20, Chiefs 34. The Chiefs won that game. The Jets 17, the Bills 27. The Bills won that game. And then Packers 43, Vikings 34. Uh, he looks great. Uh, Aaron Rodgers does. And I think the, the, the defense by the, the Vikings was okay. I think it could have been a lot better. Uh, but, you know, I think the biggest thing with the Vikings is their offense was really weird because they just kind of ran the ball the first half. Kirk Cousins didn't throw too much. So we'll see how their offense works out. Okay. All right. Eagles, 17. Washington football team, 27. Huge upset. Washington's defense came to play. And Jimmy Moreland had a pick. Carson Wentz just threw a lot of tight passes and windows that shouldn't have been thrown to and the eagles are concerning yet again yeah i mean really really weird game uh surprised uh about the 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 washington defense and offensive line but dwayne haskins man what a guy what a guy browns six ravens 38 big blowout here I'm going to readjust what I initially was going to say about this because we saw what the Browns did today on Thursday Night Football. The Ravens are just really, 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 really good. And, you know, the Browns played really well on Thursday Night Football, but 
38 to 6. Baker looked awful. Kareem Hunt was the only guy who seemed like he could get yardage. They should have ran Nick Chubb a little more. And yeah, the, the Madden cover athlete did his thing. I guess that when you're playing the Browns, even a good team can look bad. I know that I gave the uh the the Browns a very bad like season prediction. But I still stand by that. But just looking at the roster today, they're so stacked. So they should have scored more points. But, you know, it is what it is. They let, Colts, they let RG3 complete a pass that game. Yeah, which is crazy. Colts 20, Jaguars 27, Phillip Rivers collapse again. Minshew mania, baby. <laughs> the Jaguars, I predicted to go like 4-12, and 5-11, somewhere there. Just still one of the worst teams in the league. I don't think it's as much credit to them for winning this as it is for the Colts for collapsing. And Rivers started off the game well, but it's Philip Rivers, man. You know all about him. I thought, and I talked about this on the AFC preview, that Philip Rivers' woes would end, and like his fourth quarter woes would end with a competent offensive line. That is not true, is what I learned. So, very interesting. Okay, Raiders 34, Panthers 30. Close game, but Raiders, your Raiders eked it out in the end. What do you have to say about that? Run game looked great. The pass offense was dynamic when Ruggs was playing. Had an injury, took him out for a little bit. Then Carr went back to those like little intermediate routes. The de- the secondary needs some work. Teddy Bridgewater got a little too comfortable as the game went on. And I think we should have attacked the Panthers' mostly rookie secondary. But all in all, rocky but encouraging week one for o- uh, not Oakland, Las Vegas. I'm going to have to echo what you said. I think Ruggs looked good. Renfro looked good. Josh Jacobs looked great. Uh, we'll see what goes on next week. They're playing the Saints on Monday Night Football. But encouraging for, for the Raiders. Okay. Bears 27, Lions 23. Epic collapse from the Lions and a very a huge missed opportunity by DeAndre Swift to catch the game-winning touchdown pass with a few seconds left in the end zone. What, what do you have to say about <laughs> Mitchell Trubisky? About Trubisky? Some surprising moxie. Leading them back for that comeback. I feel bad for Matt Stafford, man. He threw a dime. Like, that should have ended the game. And I, I know DeAndre Swift feels terrible about it. I'm not going to bash him too much as if he listens to this podcast. But they let one slip. And the Lions always do this. And it, they always have to play the season coming back from 0-1. You know, trying to get that momentum. But it's just sad. Yeah, this is actually... This was a crazy game, and I was surprised that they were able to able to come back so quickly. But it is what it is, and uh, yeah, I mean the Bears, good job, but I think the Lions definitely collapsed. So shame on the Lions. But okay, Seahawks thirty eight, Falcons twenty five, a thrashing until the Falcons came back a little bit. A lot of passing from Russell Wilson, pretty crazy game. Can we talk about Wilson's efficiency? He went thirty one for thirty five for three twenty two and four touchdowns, no picks. He even ran twenty nine yards. Uh, Metcalf looks like he's just going to be an all-pro. Like, he he looks strong. He looks fast. You, you said earlier Tyler Lockett was someone you were really excited about. Like, he looks good again. Um, yeah, but it was the classic Matt Ryan gets 450 yards, but the, seat, but the Falcons are down, like, 20. So, it was a garbage time, huge effort from Matt Ryan. I think the Falcons will be better, but the Seahawks just look damn good. Yeah, Falcons actually looked pretty good. Uh, very surprised, but the Seahawks looked great, and I stand by how highly I rated them. Okay, Patriots 21, Dolphins 11. Kind of a grinded-out type of game, very interesting, but what do you have to say about Cam's debut? Um, Cam's debut was nice. 
Like, obviously, he's not going to put up those shiny passing numbers, but with this run game, it's just another thing New England hasn't had with Tom Brady in the fold. So I think Bill Belichick is going to do some good things with camp throughout the season. Ryan Fitzpatrick for three picks. I think it's to a time sooner than we all thought. Yeah, I think Cam looked good. I agree about the two a time for sure, though. 100%. I mean, has to happen sooner than later. Okay, Chargers 16, Bengals 13. Uh, eked out a win from the the Bengals the Chargers did with the Ryan Bullock missed, missed, missed kick. If you did catch this game, what do you have to say? I'll give you the floor. Okay, yeah. Um, Chargers play terribly. Bengals play terribly. Joe Burrow looks like he's really good, and we'll talk about a little bit about what happened Thursday Night Football today, but Joe Burrow looks really good. Two-minute drill looked great, so I don't know, man. Chargers playing terribly should did not deserve that win. So, you know, it is what it is. But the pouncy yeah, injury Cardinals the pouncy 20, injury hurts. Oh my god. The injuries uh what Drew Tranquil, linebacker, injured. Pouncy injured out for the season. Drew Tranquil broke his ankle, broke his leg, one of the two out, probably for the season. Derwin James out for the season. Like the, there's some curse with the Chargers that I don't know what caused it or what happened. But yeah, it's just crazy. Okay. So Cardinals twenty four Niners 20 uh Cardinals eked out a win very close game towards the end uh 49ers injury riddled what do you have to make of the surprising win for Kyler Murray Murray looked good and I guess this puts Arizona in that are they a sleeper wildcard team and I think we have to reassess projections for them especially after seeing the Murray Hopkins connection look dynamic and Murray's running is remarkable Jimmy Garoppolo had a numbers-wise, like, all-right game, but he just looked hesitant, especially when you're coming back. I don't think he's the guy who's going to get you that fourth-quarter comeback. Yeah, from a looks-wise perspective, this Niners team did not look like they were going to go back to the Super Bowl. A lot of questions for them on the offensive side of the ball and the defensive side of the ball now with Richard Sherman on injured reserve, and they lost a lot of offensive pieces. Their, their, Their passing game did not look the greatest, so we'll see what happens. Buccaneers 23, Saints 34, and Tom Brady's first game outside of New England. What do you have to, to say about this win that you know must have felt good for the New Orleans Saints? I think the Saints are okay. They're like kind they're happy with the win, but I think for Tampa Bay it's not really a panic situation because so many new parts on offense. They're basically overhauled their entire offense, except for the receivers. And Brady's one of those guys where with more reps, he'll do better. So Give them a couple weeks and, you know, New England always had those weird starts and they always ended up 12-4, and 13-3, so who cares? Yeah, I think we'll see how, I think it's a defensive issue and an offensive issue for the Bucks. Defense needs to step it up big time. The offense also needs to click, but, you know, with time, there's no preseason, so I'm sure it's going to, time heals all. And I think the Bucks will eventually end up being a playoff team. So Sunday Night Football, Cowboys 17, Rams 20. Really close down the line, but the Rams ended up taking this win. What does this Mike McCarthy-led Cowboys team scream to you compared to the Rams, which, you know, are pretty consistent over the past few years with Sean McVay as their head coach? I wouldn't say they're consistent. I mean, they're, like, they went 9-7 and seven last year, which is, like, I think underwhelming for a Rams team that came off the season they had before that. But, yeah, you're right. Like, the... The Cowboys, like, regardless of who... Like, the Rams won this game, but if, if the Cowboys won, like... Both teams won, or like the, the situation for either team winning would have been in spite of their quarterback. Like none of their QBs did any favors for their teams. And it was the rushing attacks. And we heard a lot about Zeke's, you know, his new tattoo. I think that took up more of this week's conversation than anything else on ESPN and all the media outlets. But 
he had a he had a good rushing game and Dak had an all right game but 17 points is just not enough especially if you're going up against the potential threat of such a dynamic offense in Sean McVay and the Rams underwhelmed by the Cowboys offense more than I am overwhelmed by the Rams defense and also considering what Cam Akers was made out to be surprised that Malcolm Brown who is a UT alum so hook him horns did in this game but you know good job to him Rams close win we'll see how they do in the rest of the uh rest of the series or sorry rest of the season Steelers 26 Giants 16 Monday Night Football quite an ugly game but Steelers Big Ben with his first victory what do you have to say about this um I'm gonna focus more on the Giants because I know a lot of people just won't talk about him Danny Dimes Daniel Jones he he reminds me of Favre, the the good and the bad. Like the he he makes some passes where you just want to break your TV, but he looked like a confident young quarterback. So I guess they have that going for them. Yeah, I mean I I love Denny Dimes and I love Saquon Barkley, uh, but they did not produce at all. Saquon did not have a good rushing game, and in general. Uh, even James Conner got injured, did not have a great rushing game. So Saquon's numbers, uh, think, real quick: fifteen carries, six yards. But did have a, a couple of big passes, so he did right. pretty decent in the passing right. game. But yeah, I don't know, man. I mean, we'll see about this about this Giants team. But the Steelers look okay; they have some weapons on the offense, so mm-hmm. good on them. But the Titans, sixteen, Broncos fourteen in the last Week One matchup. Titans, Stephen Goskowski missed three kicks, two field goals, one extra point but somehow managed to make the last-minute kick to seal the win for them. This Titans team looks okay, but I don't know, man. Derrick Henry isn't the same player as he was last year, or doesn't seem like in the second half compared to how crazy he went last year in the second half of last year. Well, I think he still had the, like, obviously he has the raw yards output, and it's week one. I expect a lot of struggling for a lot of really good players. Like, 31 carries, 116 yards is, like, he worked for those yards. And the the Titans need need to get their kicking game figured out especially if they're not going to punch the ball in the end zone as often as they did last year i feel confident in their kicking game i think goskowski you know he's a true professional so you know whatever it is what it is right like it's goskowski he's gonna come back i think i hope and the titans have had their kicking woes but i think the biggest thing is the yards per carry from from uh uh, from derrick henry but i think that will change but also you know aj brown now injured right Mm -hmm. um Bruce knee, so we'll see if he plays. So Tannehill really relied on him, so we'll see what happens with them. And Drew Locke looked okay, but sometimes he looked good, sometimes he looked bad. So this Broncos offensive line needs to be more consistent. I thought Melvin Gordon, okay, so week two, real quick, I thought Melvin Gordon looked really good. Yeah, he did look good, but he didn't play super well in the fourth quarter, which, you know, he could have played better. But moving on to week two, Bengals 35, Browns, sorry, Bengals 30, Browns 35. That was the uh, Thursday night football game. Uh, Browns, we're in the lead and Bengals came back. I'm not sure if you caught this game or not. I know that you were you're traveling and you just came to your hotel room. So, Well, I saw highlights and Joe Burrow apparently threw the ball 61 times, which is just a college yeah. number. You don't hear that in the NFL as much. So I don't know. Like Burrow's looked great from week one to week two. I see the progression. Like he, he's making his reads. But I think this is the Cleveland team that people expected. And if they're at least even going to be a half-decent team, they have to beat up on the bad teams. And for the majority of this game, they did until the Bengals made like a little late surge. But 
I, I think Cleveland is better than that week one showing. I agree. This Browns team, just from a roster perspective, is so stacked. And I'm surprised it was this close of a game, which again speaks to Cleveland. But yeah, very surprised. But in general, I think the Browns played well enough to, to make the win. Joe Burrow, crazy guy, like in terms of throwing 61 passes in an NFL game, but only 300 yards, but two touchdowns played really well considering how terrible his offensive line is garbage. But the Bengals defense, their defensive line is not bad, but they also gave up a lot of rushing numbers to both Chubb and to Kareem Hunt. So I don't know, a weird game for the Bengals, but I think it inspires hope in their, in their, in their team. But okay. First game of Sunday, not really first game, but Giants Bears. Who do you have in that game? I said Bears because they're just better. Okay. Easy thing for you. I said Giants. I think Danny Dimes is going to eke out a win. I don't know. We'll see. Um, okay. Cowboys-Falcons. It's really weird to watch the Cowboys play so early, but who do you think is going to win this this matchup? Well, I think Atlanta rebounds from a slightly encouraging but mostly concerning showing against Seattle, but that also is because Seattle is just a really dominant team on both ends of the football I think the Falcons edge out a win and the Cowboys have a lot more like talks about their their future and how they're going to turn things around. I think the Cowboys are just a better team than the Falcons. So I don't see, I mean, unless the Cowboys just really have a terrible game, I think the Cowboys take this one. Okay, Packers, Lions, we both said Packers. I think this one is pretty obvious. Right. And I think Detroit will make it competitive because those NFC North matchups are always very tight and... You know, they're, they're exciting, but the, yeah, the Packers just have a slight offense advantage and their defense. Slight. Yeah, just just slight. slight. You know, Aaron Rodgers, no big deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Titans, Jaguars. I said Titans because I just have more faith in them, but Minshew Mania, you never know. What do you have to say about this matchup? It'll be one of those weird close games that the Titans eventually win, but you wonder how the hell was Jacksonville in this game? Which feels like the story of the Jacksonville Jaguars franchise. Colts versus Vikings. Do you think Phillip Rivers will end up having a good week this week? Or I don't know. What do you think? No. I think the Vikings win this one by 10 at least. I think the Vikings' pass defense looked pretty susceptible last week. So I'm taking the Colts to win this one. I think the Colts end up taking this one out. I don't know. I think I might be wrong about this one, but we'll see. Uh, Yeah, okay. Bills versus Dolphins. A weird matchup in a sense. Two teams that I don't know could be resurgent, could not be resurgent. But I have the Bills in this one. I think the Bills are just a better team than Miami, and I'm sort of counting down the games until when Tua comes into the game, right? So I think this game, if it's a blowout, may accelerate the process of Tua coming in instead of Ryan Fitzpatrick. Yeah, this has the makings of either a Bills route or one of those games where Fitzpatrick goes for like 500 yards and four touchdowns. Could be either one. Niners Jets. Seems like an easy win for the Niners, but at this point, I don't know. I mean, I think they're going to win still, but I mean, I think this shows how good this Jets team can be if they decide to be competitive, but I don't think they will because they're coached by Adam Gase. The Jets looked really exciting before the season started, but then injuries hit, and now they just look sad. So I think this is a, no great, Adam, so. this is a great bounce-back game opportunity for the Niners, but it's all it's also a trap game, so we don't know. Rams, Eagles. I have the Rams here. I think the Rams looked actually pretty good in week one. The Eagles lost to the Washington football team, so I don't know how they can come back and beat the Rams. But you think the Eagles are going to win here? I think the Eagles win because one of the NFC East teams that are going to challenge for the division have to win this week. Like, both the Cowboys and the Eagles can't start 0-2. That would 
that would just feel wrong. So, I don't know. I, I don't think the Rams look dominant in week one, and I think they're susceptible to a few lapses here and there. And I think Carson Wentz bounces back. Yeah, okay. Broncos, Steelers. I have the Steelers here. I think the Steelers actually look pretty good week one. Also, their defense, I think, is the one the thing that I really liked. And I think Drew Locke just did not figure it out. I don't know. I, I feel a lot more confident about the Steelers and the Broncos in this matchup. Is this a home game for Pittsburgh or Denver? I believe it's a home game. Uh, hold on. Give me a second. I think it's it's at, it's at Pittsburgh. At Pittsburgh. Because I was going to say... Big Ben and altitude haven't usually been a good formula in the past. Um, oh, I think I put Denver for this. In my you did put Denver for this. Mm, you did put Denver for this. Yeah, I'm gonna stick with like Denver by a field goal. Okay, I just don't have faith in Drew Lock right now, but I don't know. We'll see. Bucks Panthers. I think everyone here has the Bucks. No surprises here. Yep, and if they don't look good. I know there's going to be more questions about Bruce Arians, Tom Brady, how the fit is. And again, it's it's two games. So I'm going to still like hold off on the, the slander. Yeah. Okay, Washington football team versus the Cardinals. I have the Cardinals taking this one. I know you do too. Will this be competitive from Dwayne Haskins and the Washington football team? I think, yeah, I think it'll be competitive. I think just because DeAndre Hopkins is a better player than any skill player that the Washington football team has. That's the edge. Okay. Chargers Chiefs. Chiefs taking this one for sure. But the question is how big of a route is it? Um especially after the pouncy injury, you know, the the center position is madly undervalued in football, or at least from like a fan's perspective. Like no one no one goes to their homies is like, hey yo, you know, like that team has a really good center. Like all the talk is about wide receiver quarterback, but that's gonna hurt LA. And especially in a game against a team like the Chiefs, it's going to be bad. Okay. Texans versus Ravens. I think Lamar Jackson does what the what Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs did last week to the to the Texans, except I think the Ravens have a better defense. So I think a blowout win for the Ravens here. Poor Deshaun Watson starting his season off against Mahomes and Lamar. The, ugh. I, I, I don't want to say blowout, but I think it's going to be one of those games with Texas or... Not Texas. Houston is just playing catch up from the very beginning. Patriots Seahawks. What would have been an intriguing matchup maybe a while ago now seems to be I don't know, kind of a blow for the Seahawks. But we'll see. This is I think the Patriots' first big matchup of their season. So what do you think about this matchup specifically? I would I would say the Patriots are just gonna roll over and you know you know what just give us forty. I don't think it's gonna be like that. Like Cam is first of all too prideful to let that happen. And he carries himself right now the same way he carried himself his MVP season. So I think he's he thinks he's every bit as talented and good as Russell Wilson. And I think that's going to be a, a very fun matchup between two dual threat classified quarterbacks. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's going to be like the Patriots give up. But I think it's going to be that the, the Seahawks just win based on pure talent alone. But we'll see because the Patriots did look kind of sloppy against the Dolphins. But the final matchup of week one. Raiders versus Saints. You have the uh, the the Raiders winning, I believe, which I think is very interesting. But listen, I'm never picking have to this season. This. I'm never picking against the Raiders. Like I'm, I'm without money betting them to go sixteen and zero. Like I, I just can't. Like <laughs> I, my heart says the Raiders win, 
logic says the Saints pull it out, I'm going with my heart, man. Yeah, you're just going to have like one loss pretty consistently throughout the season. But, you know, you're choosing to impose this upon yourself. So It's okay. Good for you. Live and learn. Yeah. But that wraps up another episode of the Locked In Podcast. Really hope you guys enjoyed this one. Tried to keep it short and sweet for y'all, but a lot more sports coming your way. NBA Conference Finals, NFL, MLB Playoff Race coming soon, Stanley Cup Finals coming soon. So a lot of sports. Please follow us on Instagram, Podcast of Locked In. We'll be posting all our predictions for the NFL every single week and posting more content. We have hopefully some exciting guests coming your way. Check us out on our website, LockedInPod.com. Stay safe and wash your hands. Wash your hands, people. Peace. Thank mm-hmm. you.